If I haven't had the chance to uh, meet you yet, uh, my name is Chris, uh, one of the elders, one of the leaders here. Um, it's good to be back up here. Uh, Andrew, thank you for carrying the load. Uh, he did a great job, didn't he, church? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, it was nice to have a few weeks off, but it's also great to be back uh, up here with you all. So if you have a Bible, grab them, go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our series going through the Gospel of Matthew. While you uh, find that, I just want to quickly uh, do a, a bit of an update for us as we come to the end of the year. I uh, just wanted to, we haven't done this in a while, and so we just thought it would be a good time to do a financial update. So Ian, if you could just throw that slide up on the screen. Here's just where we're at as a church. This is going to be two seconds. Uh, here's where we're at as a church as of the end of October. So you can see as of the end of October, our year-to-date goal, which means that's how much we agreed as a church we were going to spend, which also uh, means we as a church agreed we were going to give. Uh, the number is $407,000, uh, $407,978,000. So four hundred and ten. let's just round up, $410,000. Uh, and then what we've actually brought in as of the end of October, and our November numbers will be in like any minute now, um, is $339,000 and $11,000. So you can see there's a bit of a discrepancy there, uh, roughly $65,000, $70,000 or so, just some quick math. Uh, and don't be alarmed, right? Some people are going to hear that and go, oh my goodness, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, a couple of things, a couple of reasons why you don't need to be alarmed. One is because as elders, you know, we're mindful of where we're at as a church, so we're always managing expenses. Here's another reason why, because uh, this budget was predicated on the planting of West Village, and you know, as we know, part Part of uh, our journey this year has been bringing West Village Saanich back into, or sorry, this number was predicated on planting West Village Saanich, and as you know, part of our journey was bringing West Village Saanich back into the West Shore uh, this fall. So all the dollars associated with that gathering, uh, we, we are no longer spending you know, rent, stuff like that. Uh, as well, Robin was on staff full-time, and so that's also no longer the case. Uh, and so our expenses are actually a, a lot lower. Uh, now, with that being said, our giving, you know, it's, it's close. We're pretty much at a break-even for the year. Uh, but here, here's just what I would say on this. I just encourage you to continue to be faithful continue to be generous. We're coming to the end of the year, uh, you know, so if you want to get any resources, any dollars in uh, to get them on your 2018 tax return, that needs to be done by the end of the year. So go ahead and do that. There's your financial update. Grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are in a series going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew, as I already said. And where we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in chapter 6, is in what is called, what we've been calling, what is typically known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is often thought of as the center point of the Gospel of Matthew. Not this, the middle, but the center point, like the apex, the high point of the life and ministry of Jesus, as Jesus tells, uh, or as Matthew tells Jesus' story in his Gospel. And where we find ourselves here, specifically where Andrew uh, took us or started to take us last week, is in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 10 this morning. He started in verse 9 last week, and, and we're in the Lord's Prayer. Now, what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is the Lord's Prayer is actually the center of the Sermon on the Mount. So just hang with me here for a second. I don't want to overreach. I don't want to make a, a, you know, a claim that isn't necessarily intended by the author. But here we find ourselves in the center of Matthew. Gospel, and at the center of Matthew's Gospel is the Sermon on the Mount. At the center of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. Now think about this. This is the absolute high point of the teaching of Jesus, and what does he talk to us about? Prayer. He, he could have put anything in here, right? He, he, could have, he could have put, you know, give more money to the church. That would have made those numbers look better, 
right? He could have put, you know, love the poor. He could have, lots of things he could have put here. And he comes in and he says, it's really, really important that you pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Now, now that, that tells us something about God, doesn't it? It tells us something about what he wants for us. It tells us something about what his heart for uh, us is. He, he longs for us to be a people who pray. Now, again, this is, I wish I could say we are like strategic and we planned all this out, right? But we're not that smart. You can't give us this much credit, but, but this has been a huge theme for us this fall. Like we came out of the fall and we went into a series, five or six weeks, I can't remember, maybe longer, uh, on prayer. What does it mean to pursue God? What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to encounter God? And then we thought, okay, we're going to move on from that. We're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. And then we do that for like two weeks. And then we come back to what? Prayer. I mean, just maybe it's just me, but I think God wants to teach us something as a church. I think he's calling us to something as a church. I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to get our attention and he's trying to say, hey, West Village, Prayer is important. Prayer is significant. Prayer matters. Uh, you know, I, I actually want you to be a people who are marked by prayer. And what's interesting is we can, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when you start to think about prayer, it seems like prayer is kind of a dead practice in our culture. But as Andrew unpacked last week, that statistics tell us that is not the case. I mean, these stats were, I believe, on the screen last week, but we see that more than half, so roughly 55% of Americans claim to pray every single day. 21% claim to pray uh, weekly or monthly, while 23% say that they seldom or never pray. So what we see is uh, people actually do pray a lot. I mean, even, even in our world, which I would say is predominantly the dominant story, especially in the city of Victoria, I realize these are American stats, but in the city of Victoria, where the dominant narrative is sort of this secular humanistic narrative, right? Where, where the, uh, the story is telling us that we are, are just a, a product of blind, random chance, that we evolved out of a primordial soup, that you are nothing more than, you know, highly evolved apes. The only difference between you and an ape is your frontal lobes are a little bit more developed and you have, you know, opposable thumbs that you can do things with. Apes have opposable thumbs? I don't even know. Anyone? Oh, that fell flat on its face, hey? Who's the joker at the front with the mic? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, we'll go with the frontal lobes bit. Your frontal lobes are a little bit more developed, so you can empathize, you can think, you can do things that that apes aren't able to do. You're really just a, a highly evolved animal. That's all you are. So God is out of the picture, uh, transcendence, life has no meaning, you're just, it's just blind, random chance. Here's the problem, that's the dominant story of our world, but it doesn't resonate with the human heart. So, so if you actually just start to look around a little bit, here's what you're going to see, there's all these like Eastern practices that are like on the rise, like for sure, our culture for the most part has disregarded any kind of traditional Western religious practices, but spirituality is on the rise. So we have practices like yoga, meditation, mindfulness is a huge thing right now. Uh, so guys like Howard Stern, of all people, Howard Stern, every day, Howard Stern, I know, it's just like, what? He meditates. Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, every day practices mindfulness. 
I have a friend, a good friend. I talk about him all the time. I, I tell him I talk about him all the time. He's my atheist buddy, Mike, right? He feels like he's your buddy. I talk about him so much. This guy is as atheist as you are Christian. If there was an atheist church on a Sunday morning, he would be there because like he, he has a card. It's like I'm a member of the atheist club. Like he's a legitimate atheist. He takes his family on meditative retreats. Why? Because there's something in the human reality that longs to connect with the transcendent. We long to belong, to participate in something that is bigger than ourselves. And so we can fool ourselves. We can trick ourselves into thinking that, you know, prayer is no longer significant. God isn't real. But here's the reality. There's still going to be this longing, this ache in the human soul for something more. And Jesus comes and he speaks into that. Let me teach you how to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who we quote a lot, he says this about prayer. Man is at his greatest and his highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. There is something powerful that happens in the moment where you humble yourself and kneel before the one who made you. You become fully human in that moment. You, you realize who you are. All the false narratives that you've been living in light of start to dissipate and go away. And when you come face to face with God, you are the most human. And so I get it, like prayer. Like if you're, if you're, you know, in the creative meeting at West Village, we're like, what's the sexiest thing we can preach about? It's not prayer. You know, we, we've never been like, hey, let's do a real attractional series where people are going to want to invite their friends. I got it. Let's do it on prayer. That never happens. Why? Because prayer is boring. It's lame. It seems like a waste of time. And yet Jesus says, this is the most important thing that you could know and do. And so, so here's my encouragement to you. We're going to go verse by verse. We're going to go petition by petition through the Lord's Prayer. My invitation to you is to lean in, not out. To press in, not press out. I don't care if you're new to church, have never been to church, got dragged here by a friend, or been coming to church for a long time. My suspicion is that what Jesus is going to say to us through the Lord's Prayer has the potential, the possibility to transform us. So Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. If you go to Luke's gospel where he also gives the Lord's Prayer, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, Lord, we want to know how to pray. So what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to prescribe for us how we are to pray. So he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And then look at what he says first. Verse 9, the second half, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, Andrew unpacked this last week, so I don't want to, don't want to spend too much time on this, but, but there's this great reality that Jesus lays out for us here where he paints a picture for us as, of God as Father. That God is like a daddy, an Abba, not the band, right? But the Greek word, which means father, right? He's not a dancing queen. Is that Abba? Did I get that one right? 
Amen. All right, there we go. It's because I'm old and fat and bald, and I know old people music now. This is weird. All the songs I listened to growing up are now on the oldies station. They actually have oldies hip-hop stations, which actually brings my heart much delight. 103.7 if you're scoring at home. What were we talking about? Right, Jesus and prayer. Okay. So Jesus comes along and he says, God is like a father. You can approach him. You can run up to him, sit on his lap, enjoy his presence, connect with him, be with him. But he's not weak. He's not impotent. Because look at what he says next. Hallowed be his name. Hallowed be your name, God. In other words, he's also holy. He's set apart. He's other than. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. He's the one who hung the stars in the heavens. And what I love just about the way that Andrew unpacked this for us last week, but, but the way that Jesus is depicting God for us here is if he, if he just gave us God his fa- as father, here's what would happen. Like all children do with their parents, they would become very disrespectful of their father. He would seem somehow like he's weak. But if he only gave us a picture of God as holy, we would be so terrified of him that we would never actually pray. But here we get this beautiful picture of God where he is both loving, gracious, and kind, but also one to be feared. Also one who's when we come into his presence, we should tremble. And then Jesus goes on and look at what he says next. In verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now look at what Jesus starts with here. Verse 10, the first word, your. He uses that word twice in verse 10. And actually, if you just take a step back for a second, look at the Lord's Prayer in its totality, here's what you're going to see. When Jesus unpacks for us, when he instructs us, when he teaches us, when he teaches you and he teaches me how we are to pray, look at what he starts with. Like he doesn't say, Chris, your kingdom come. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in fact, the entirety of the first half of the Lord's Prayer, if you were to take it petition by petition, not verse by verse, is actually Godward in orientation. So, so when Jesus instructs us to pray, his, his initial instruction for us is, is not to come to God with a laundry list of things that, that we need him to do for us, but it's rather to come to God and see that he indeed is God. To start by acknowledging that God is God. I mean, I don't know what, maybe this is just at my house, but like my kids are getting older, so I have to be careful about what illustrations I use and don't use serving or in kids' ministry. So I can just talk about them and just don't tell them that I did this, okay? Uh, when we, when we go to pray around the dinner table, and you know, some, we often, we want to use that as an opportunity to train our kids how to pray. We'll ask our kids, okay, you're up tonight, Tyler, you're up tonight, Lucas, you're up tonight, Adam, you're up tonight, Jacob, you're going to pray tonight. And they, it's like, sometimes we're just looking at each other like, we're bad parents. Like, we get paid money to tell people about Jesus, and this is the fruit of, oh my gosh. It's like, God, uh, we want to have a good day tomorrow, and uh, I got a game tonight, so I hope we win it, and I hope I make most of my shots. Amen. Let's eat. And we're, we're just like, oh man, like... 
No, no. Like, how about you talk to God about God? You know, how about you, how about you enjoy God? How about you worship God? And it's funny, right? You, you, you think about this and you're like, yeah, that's funny. But just take an audit of your prayer life for a second. Go, go look through your journal, your prayer journal, and, and look at all the things. I don't know if you have a prayer journal. But if you have a prayer journal, whether it's on your phone or just in your mind or your heart, or it's a literal journal where you write things out that you're praying for, ask the question, who's the hero of this? Is this God, your kingdom come, your will be done? Or is this God bless my kingdom? Make my kingdom better. See, because here, here's what God wants for us. Here's what Jesus is instructing us to do. It's beautiful. It's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reality because Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He's saying, here, here's what I need you to do. When you come to pray, remember that you are not God. One author I was reading this week in preparation, he said, the first thing you should do when you pray is put your hand over your mouth and sit in the presence of God. Oh, that's a good word. And when you start to look around at our culture, when you just like just examine your life, I mean, this is like we are, we talk about this a lot, but we are the wealthiest people, most blessed, blessed, air quotes, blessed by worldly standards, people that have ever lived, and yet we're the most medicated and unhappy people who have ever walked planet Earth. Western society is a disaster. It's a train wreck. Why? Because we are trying to run our own world. I mean, just, just think for a second. Like, if you're here and you have small children, which pretty much makes up everybody that goes to West Village for the most part, it's like being a parent. Like when, when I was a kid, here's how parenting went. Uh, go out with your friends and come home. When did you tell your kids to come home? If you're my age, when were you told to come home? When the streetlights come on. I don't care where you are until then. I don't care what you're doing until then. I have no cell phone to text you on to figure out where you are. You just go and you just come home before then. That was it. I was parenting in a nutshell. It was great. I wish I grew up in that area because now, now we live in an era where, where it's like, well, okay, uh, the, the, a book comes out and it's a bestseller and you've got to read it. And it says, if you, uh, you know, if you leave your kid crying for more than three minutes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to give them a fear complex. You're going to give them anxiety and they're going to grow up to be mass murderers and they're going to chew your face off in your sleep, right? They're going to grow up to listen to Nirvana. It's just going to be bad, ugly, dark. And you're like, okay, let's do that. And so we, what do we do? We chase our kids around the house, spend West Village kids. If, you know, if they cry, we bring them in here and we let them disrupt this whole thing. <laughs> Sorry, well, whoops, that came out. Okay, oh, take that back. Okay, uh, we, we, we wouldn't ever want to let little Johnny cry himself to comfort in the nursery. And so we think, well, we'll just keep going in there to get him. Actually, we won't even make him go in there. And now all of a sudden he's 20 and he wants me to cut his meat for him. And I can't figure out why because I've never made him do anything his entire life. This is crazy. And then like three minutes later, another book comes out and it's like, well, actually, no, you should let your kid cry. You should spank them often. And, and so then you start doing, and it's just crazy because we've convinced ourselves that we have to figure this thing out. And so what does it lead to in our world? It just leads to stress. It leads to anxiety. It leads to frustration. And here's Jesus' invitation. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Just come and sit at the feet of Jesus. 
Cover your mouth. Breathe. And remember that you are not God. And he is. And we talk about the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus is actually inviting you into that rest. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm so thankful you're running the world. I don't have to. I'm so thankful that you are the one who is the arbiter of truth so that I don't have to. I'm so thankful that you hold the whole world in your hands so that I don't have to. Lord, it's your kingdom, not mine. It's your world. It's not mine. It's your will. It's not mine. So he says, your, and he goes on and says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Now, again, just taking a step back at what Jesus is talking about here. If you recall, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been saying the Sermon on the Mount is ultimately the constitution of the kingdom of God. It's the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, we won't turn there. This won't be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene. He's preaching. He's doing ministry. He's he's kind of coming on the scene. And and here's what his sermon was summarized by Matthew as, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he invited people to come and follow him as king and be a part of his kingdom. And then in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is what we've been working through for a very long time, he's, he's explaining to them what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom. So in other words, when Jesus comes on the scene, here's, here's what's happening. He's inaugurating the kingdom of God. He's inaugurating the kingdom of heaven. When he comes on the scene, he is ushering in God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Because in order to understand this prayer, we have to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. We have to understand what this kingdom is that Jesus is laying out for us, what Jesus is not talking about. We, you know, it's easier to describe the kingdom in terms of what it isn't than what it is because it's so spiritual and nebulous that we almost have no language to really firmly understand what it is. But, but what Jesus is not talking about is an earthly kingdom. He's not talking about a political kingdom. He's not talking about making Canada great again. Right? That's just not part of what he's doing. This is not a political statement. It's just not what he's doing. He's, he's not talking about turning Canada or the Western world back into a Christian nation. That is not the heart behind the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the place where Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over the hearts of men and women. And so the kingdom of heaven is not a physical place, but it's a spiritual reality that we experience So how does the kingdom of heaven grow? It's not by legislation. It's not by uh, outward morality or obedience. It's by men and women having their hearts changed and transformed and seeing Jesus Christ as king. And so the way that we go about bringing the kingdom to bear is is by preaching the gospel. It's by being obedient to what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew chapter 28, which is make more disciples. As we make more disciples, what are we doing? We are expanding the kingdom. And what Jesus uh, is calling us to pray for here, and don't miss this, he's calling us to pray for the expansion of his kingdom. 
So, so follow the bouncing ball here. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, here's how you are to pray. Start by praying to God, calling him Father, recognizing he's, he's holy, recognizing that he is God and you are not, recognizing that you, know, you make a lousy God, but he makes a great God, that you can trust him, you can rest in him as the one who holds the universe together. And then pray that more people would realize that. It's beautiful. So, so some of us have this view of prayer, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be pejorative in any way, but it's like this thing that old ladies and weird people do. Like in the back corner of a room or a church or whatever, church building. It's not for, you know, it's, it's not like, I'm not going to do that. It's like the knitting club and they pray, or it's the thing that we sprinkle on our church baseball game before we start. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's a lot more than that. Listen to this. He's, he's actually saying that prayer is warfare. That, that prayer is the means by which his kingdom will come. If, if you go to Revelation 8, we're not, we're not going to turn there this morning for the sake of time, but if you go to, to Revelation 8, you get this picture of prayer. It's this beautiful picture that the Apostle John paints for us, where, where the prayers of God's people rise up to heaven like, the, the, like incense, and they get up into heaven, and God takes them, and something mystical, spiritual happens, whereby God then turns them around and throws them back down to earth as lightning and thunder. In other words, it's the way by which his glory is manifested on earth. So, so confession of a, you know, an elder at West Village, we have spent probably the vast majority of our time as a church thinking about how we can grow the church, thinking about how we can saturate the city of Victoria, thinking about how, all the ways in which we can strategize and the things that we can do and the, the, the language that we can have and the events that we can plan. And Jesus is saying, you're dumb if you think you can do this. The way that this is going to happen, yes, we're going to have to be faithful. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the way that this is going to happen is not by strength, it's not by might, but it's by the power of God. The way the church is going to grow, you think you're that good, Chris? Right? Yeah, you crack a joke here and there. You think you're going to be able to grow the church? No. The Spirit of God is the one who has to move. And so you need to get on your face. You need to pray. Now, let me just ask a couple of questions here. When you pray, and I'm going to ask this question a lot, what does it sound like? When your community group gets together and you guys pray, right? If your community group prays, what are the, th what are the things you pray for? Well, I've got an aunt, and she's got a bad liver. Okay, we're going to pray for your aunt's liver. Oh, I've got, you know, my toe. i got a sick cat. We come to God with our grocery list. We come to God with our laundry list. We come to God with our, you know, and, and listen, we're gonna, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get to Jesus' invitation to pray about our wants and our needs. But we come to God with these things that, I'm sorry, guys, like, they don't matter. 
They don't matter next to the glory of God. Next to the hallowedness of the name of God. Next to the kingdom of God advancing in our city. And we've turned prayer into this thing that is focused on self and honestly seems weak and impotent. I don't know if you've ever been in those prayer meetings where you're just like, I want this to end so I can go home. That is not Jesus' vision of prayer. His vision of prayer here is that this would be a battle cry, that the kingdom of light would come up against the kingdom of darkness. We can't change the hearts and minds of men and women, but the Spirit of God can, amen? Amen. So when your community group prays, when you pray, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for each other. I'm not saying you shouldn't lay hands and pray for healing. We do all of those things, but if that takes up the lion's share of the things you're praying about, and you don't pray for the kingdom of God to come, if you don't pray for the church to grow, for the spirit of God to move, for the city of Victoria to be saturated with the gospel, can I suggest to us that perhaps we're actually praying for the wrong things? Instead of praying, God, your kingdom come, we are praying, God, just bless my kingdom, please. Because my kingdom's actually the priority over your kingdom. And there's this beautiful thing that Jesus does here when he calls us to pray this. You see what he's doing, right? Like, again, Sermon on the Mount, kingdom of God, Jesus is our king. And what's he call us to do? Humble ourselves, repent, follow him into the kingdom. When he calls us to pray like this, what's he doing? He's asking us to put our agenda aside. Not forget it, but just put it aside. Make him the priority. Why is prayer boring? Why does prayer suck? Why do you fall asleep? Why could you not imagine spending 60 minutes in prayer, but you will binge watch Ozark all week long because you don't see it the way Jesus sees it? And so he's calling us to conform our ideas, our life to his ways. This is why we as a church want to pray. I mean, I know Andrew already talked about it, but on Tuesday night, we are having a prayer meeting. And it's not, we, you can throw the, I think the details are on a slide in there, Ian. Tuesday, December 11th from 7 to 8, the West Village offices, just up the road, one hour to come together. And it's not like, you know, like, I don't know what you think in your mind. This is like, Nathan's going to be there. He's going to lead us in some worship. We're gonna, it's going to be broken up through through prayer and song, through, uh, you know, just times of talking together. But this is a time for us as a church to say, Lord, we long for your kingdom to come. In fact, I would argue that this might be the most important thing you do as far as being on mission this week. I, I would encourage your community group to say, you know what, if we meet on Thursday, let's not meet on Thursday. If we can't handle, you know, three hours a week together, let's not meet on Thursday. Let's go on Tuesday for one hour and pray together. And I don't want to guilt you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm saying this is God's heart for his people, that they would declare their dependence on him to move. This is his heart for our church. I believe that. That his his deep desire, his affection for us, and his kindness to us 
He wants us to stop being so busy for him and start sitting at his feet. So come. Just come. Together, as a people, make it a priority. Let's press into God, and we're going to do them every month and continue to call us to that as a church. So if you can't make it this month, start to look at next month. So Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here, here's an interesting question, one that probably uh, we, we should all be asking. So Jesus says, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus comes on the scene, the kingdom of heaven is ushered in. Uh, then he calls us to pray for the advancement of the kingdom. This, this is interesting, right? So Jesus comes, brings the kingdom, and then he calls us to pray for the kingdom to come. There, there seems like, a, in my mind at least, a, a bit of a cognitive dissonance there. If Jesus coming ushers in the kingdom, it's the inauguration of the kingdom, why then would Jesus call us to pray for the kingdom to come even more? Maybe another way of asking it would be this, and maybe you haven't thought about this, maybe this is just something I'm thinking about, in which case, welcome to the journey with me. Uh, If the kingdom has come, if Jesus has ushered in, inaugurated the kingdom, why then is there still so much brokenness in the world? Why is there still then so many many things that are happening that, that seem out of alignment with the kingdom? How do we, how do we reconcile those two things? Uh, This is what theologians uh, would call the already but not yet of the kingdom. So there's this reality to the kingdom of God, to the way that the kingdom of God works. There's an, there's an already to the kingdom. In other words, already it's come. Jesus came, he ushers in the kingdom, he inaugurates the kingdom. It's the beginning of his kingdom. It's the already. But there's also a not yet. There's a not yet reality to the kingdom in that we have not yet experienced the fullness of the kingdom as Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. The, the, the not yet of the kingdom is, is the kind of stuff that we, we, we read when we go to like Revelation chapter 21. You go to Revelation chapter 21, you get this great picture of what the kingdom of God will be like. We're going to be in eternity with Jesus, gathered around the throne, worshiping him in fullness. And John describes this picture for us where there's no more pain, there's no more heartache, there's no more tears, there's no more anguish, there's no more sadness. He's wiping every tear from every eye that everything that is broken comes untrue in every single way. All the things that cause you to want and long and hurt, all of that stuff is fixed and restored. That's the, 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 the fullness of the kingdom. And we haven't yet experienced the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, maybe, maybe a helpful analogy would be you know, World War II. We have D-Day, Normandy. The Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. And, and we realized on that day that the war was over. Like, we won the war, but we hadn't completely won the war yet. There were still skirmishes along the way. There were still governments that had to be toppled over. There were still, you know, injustices that had to be undone. And so for the next several weeks and months, that was happening until the war was finally completed. In an imperfect way, that paints a picture for us of the way that the kingdom of God works. Now, look at what Jesus calls us to pray. He calls us to pray, your kingdom come. And then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this 2,000-year reality that we've been faced with as the church, and that is this. There's the already, there's the not yet, and for 2,000 years, we have been right here in the middle, waiting, 
Jesus ascended into heaven and he promised he would come again. I mean, this is what we celebrate at Advent, right? The word Advent literally means longing or waiting. We're not waiting for Jesus to come. He's already come. What is the church in longing, waiting for now? The second coming of Jesus. And notice what he says. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me, let me ask a question here. How is the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven? In other words, what is the means by which God does this? His will on earth as it is in heaven. The church. Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul calls the church what? The body of Christ, of which he is the head. So often we use the image of a body, we use it, and it's not wrong to use it like this, it's just not full. We use it to say, hey, you know, we're a body. So some of you are, you know, uh, big toes, and some of you are hands, and we all have a part to play in the church. Absolutely, it's a good use of the analogy. The Apostle Paul does that in 1 Corinthians. But I think there's something more full about that analogy that gets lost in that picture. In the same way that Jesus was the literal manifestation. He was God with skin on. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. And and for some of us, it might sound like we're bordering on heresy here, but we are not. The Apostle Paul says, we are the body of Christ of which he is the head. We are the literal hands and feet of Jesus here on earth. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians describes us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place that God himself dwells. So, just check this out. This is good. Like, if you're sleeping, wake up. The church is the place. Sorry, I'm getting goosebumps here. It's the place where heaven comes to earth. Whoa. So you see, you, you think, you might think, you woke up this morning, you looked outside, hey, it's a couple degrees warmer, we don't have to scrape the car, sure, let's go, let's go to church this morning. Right? Or, oh, I don't know if I feel like, you know, doing the whole community group, maybe being the part of the thing, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not trying to cat, I'm not, There's just this cavalier nature with which we treat the church at times. That's what I'm trying to get at. And Jesus is saying that this community is the means by which I am going to bring heaven to earth. In other words, we are a foretaste of what is to come. That Revelation 21 picture, when people encounter us, they should at least get a taste of that. Now, Don't get me wrong. In the same way that the kingdom is already but not yet, West Village is very already but very not yet. If you're picking up what I'm throwing down. Okay? I know. You know me. I know you. We ain't awesome. But Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so what Jesus is calling us to pray here is gospel saturation. That the church would rise up and be the church. When was the last time you prayed 
not for the church finances, you know, but for the church of Victoria to saturate the city of Victoria. And the beautiful thing about this prayer request is Jesus doesn't just call us to pray. He then puts actual flesh, no pun intended, on the request and says, here's how it gets fulfilled. It's in how we live. You get to pray it and you get to live it. What a beautiful, beautiful reality. See, church, prayer is not boring. Prayer is not lame. If it is, here's here's what I'm going to say to you. You might be doing it wrong. You might not be praying at all the way Jesus intended you to be praying. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we wind down. In... uh, in 2 Chronicles, there's this great verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, says this. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Jesus is inviting us to call God our Father, to recognize his holiness and to pray and then live out the coming of his kingdom. What if we did that, church? What what, what if for the next year, we just got super serious about pressing in to God through prayer? What if that was our big strategy, right? What if that was our big reveal for the year? Big reveal is we're gonna pray might God do? This week I had coffee with a guy on uh, on Thursday. I had coffee with a guy named Mike Blackaby. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's up here to plant uh, a church in Oak Bay with Canvas Church. Canvas has a church that meets out here. God's doing great things through that church and he's planting an expression of that church in Oak Bay. And I got to sit down. He reached out to me and we sat down and we chatted it was fantastic. And at the end of the coffee, I said to him, hey, Mike, I got to tell you something, man. Um, every single day, uh, my phone buzzes at 10.02. And every single day at 10.02, I pray Luke chapter 10, verse 2. I pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers to the field. I've been doing that for a long time, like four or five years. So I don't, we ask our church to do it. I don't think anyone else does it. I think it's just me and Andrew. But we still do it. If you don't do it, set your alarm every day to 10.02 and pray 10.02 prayers. Here's why, here's why. Okay, check this out. I was praying for you to come here before you were even thinking about church planting. And he's just like, pick my jaw up off the floor.
for my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What if because of a group of not so awesome followers of Jesus who set their alarms for 1002, and let's not be asked this morning, but let's just say it was, set their alarms for 1002, there were 10 mites. There were 10 canvas churches. There were 10 West Villages. There were 10 Glad Tidings. There were 10 Colwood Pentecostals. There were more and more churches that were not just gathering on Sunday, but living out the mission of Jesus. They were not just meeting in a movie theater or in a building, but they were filling the city. But the kingdom of God actually started to come in the city of Victoria. Don't you want that? I want that. I don't care how big our church is. I don't care how many churches we get to plant. I want to see Jesus made much of. Amen.